Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Um, how are you guys? Have you been doing well? Have you been remembering to take a walk in the woods? I took a walk in the woods this morning with my good friend Keiji Mohadi and introduced him to the concept of forest bathing. We bathed in the forest. I prefer to say we bathed in the forest energy. Um, which is actually scientifically proven to be very good for you. You you change your positive charged body to a negatively charged one. Actually, rather, the forest is negatively charged, so you become neutral, which sounds kind of like meh, but it's actually quite good. Anyway, my guest on episode 8 of Driving to Pretoria is a comedian, writer, gardener, and furtive undercover oil painter who talks to her flowers, lays out her crystals monthly in a kind of sarcastic yet unironic way, and occasionally does oil paintings in private. She is a person who does her own laundry, but not her own dishes. She pays someone to do that. She is, in her own words, freakishly good at brying. Hashtag take that barbecue patriarchy. She is an award-winning radio presenter who broadcasts daily to actual live humans throughout the pandemic. She is my good friend and daughter of the people of the light, Angel Campy. Please enjoy. Namaste. <laughs> oh, yeah, we had fun. I think you're going to have fun too. I'm here with Angel Campy, comedian, writer, radio presenter. Does one say radio presenter or DJ? One of them is offensive. I don't do any of the music quick, quick, so I have to just be a presenter. Presenter. Uh, who recently won Best Presenter in South Africa? No? Um, best radio show, best afternoon drive, best something? Best. She's the best. You are the best. <laughs> the South African Comedy Awards were trying to stay relevant during lockdown. So they were like, what other things are comedians doing? Oh, this one's doing radio. Is that who you got the award for? Yeah. I didn't even know we had a comedy awards. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's why I'm like... I thought we skipped last year. We didn't because I won one. <laughs> well done! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, South African uh, Comedy Awards best... Top comedian on radio. Top comedian on a radio show that broadcasts to live people. Yeah, they really just dug deep for some categories in 2020. And one of the sharpest minds, comedic wits, I would say, in this country today, living. Living. What are the dead ones? Well, there's some that, you know. Fair enough. Welcome to uh, this show. Which camera am I supposed to look uh, at? You can look at any camera. Because that one is like there. That one might, you not need to see a chiropractor, but I know a couple of them. Do you? Yeah. Why? Because your wife's a doctor. Well, my wife's a doctor, but it happens that her partner, who's a homeopath. Now, homeopathy mm. is where you, I don't know if you've ever seen a homeopathist. Homey, I mean, I'd like to hear your homeopath. description. <laughs> Well, I went to a Waldorf school, as did Milan, so mm. homeopathy, homeopathy. Mm. Homeopathy was very big at Waldorf. Yes. So you treat, you never treated, uh, what do they treat mumps with normally? I don't know. Glass what is mumps? Water? Mumps is a virus. I don't know. Did you know that a communicable <laughs> virus, you know why it's called communicable? I only discovered this this so morning. talk about it. <laughs> yes. What? <laughs> you would tell... 
Because during the Spanish flu, uh, they had no way of testing people. So the only way they knew was if you communicated to uh, the government that you had the symptoms. And that uh-huh. became communicable. Oh, so it would be one that shows up like prevalent. Then you could communicate you yes. have it. Whereas yes. COVID wouldn't be communicable because half of the people had it and didn't even know. Correct. I always thought that gluten intolerance was highly communicable and that's why you always knew exactly who had it. <laughs> that's true. But anyway, the point was Homeopaths. that mumps at Waldorf, if you had a mump <laughs> or mumps, they were treated with a mump because that's homeopathy. You treat the thing with a bit of the like thing. Like a vaccine? Yeah, I guess, except with like snake bite venom in it. So they would give you a mump. How, what, like a, just a little hunk, hunk of flesh? Well, it was like a mump, but it was presented like in a ball of mohair. <laughs> <laughs> With a gold crown. I mean, I don't know. I do know homeopathy pretty well because, as you know, my name is Angel and my mother chose that as an appropriate name. So she is also. Was your mom a hippie? A believer in homeopathy, yes. Really? <laughs> yes, very much so. She was a member of the People of the Light cult when she fell pregnant with me. Wow. I, I might be what misnaming it. What was the People it. of the Light cult? It was just a bunch of people who astral traveled and had gurus and I don't know. Really? Yeah. Have you ever astral traveled or no. asked her about her astral travels? I have, but the problem is I'm really sarcastic with her, so she doesn't trust me to tell me properly. <laughs> Because I wait for a gap and then mark her about it. <laughs> but uh, her true story, that's how she uh, found my soul. She says she astral traveled at the point of conception. And I don't know Whoa. which point during the fuddly-duddly conception happens. I feel like I've astro- astral traveled at that point. Oh? Well. Um, a lot. <laughs> it's not common for the woman, I suppose. No. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, and she says that she was in another universe, like she went into the other plane and it was fields of buttercups and rainbows everywhere. And then in the one rainbow, there were these iridescent souls just playing and she knew she wanted a really light. And this is the part where it gets a little bit creepy um, because she wanted a light, joyful child to spread literally joy. And so she says one of the souls had blue eyes. That's all she had. I have blue eyes. And then she said to it, will you come to earth to be my sunshine child to spread laughter? And my soul said, sure, I could do with a holiday. Wow. That sounds exactly like how Debbie found Mishka at the SPCA in Grassy Park. (laughs) Yeah. That's the story they tell me. So I'm really adopted. (laughs) That's actually quite beautiful. And you do spread joy. Well, that's the creepy thing. Most comics have jokes about how they disappointed their parents, but I only started stand up at 28. And when I decided to do it, I phoned my mom and was just like, yeah, I'm actually going to do some stand up. And she was like, I told you, you were going to spread laughter. And I was like, ah, don't be right. And then as soon as I started, doors just flung open and it really was like a calling kind of path. Now we met like before that, when you were how old? When I gave you an award. Yeah. No. Yes. <laughs> the same award I'm now winning. <laughs> what award was that? The South African Comedy Awards. Really? Or were you just doing comedy at the awards? I don't know. You, I met you at the South African Comedy Awards. I was the girl in a dress bringing the awards on you stage. You were like one of the, what do they call those girls? The oh, statue trophy holders. Trophy wives. Trophy wives. <laughs> trophy know. girlfriends. <laughs> I don't know. It was just... Uh, a trophy girl. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my friend Lauren McGregor was running the event and she called me up that morning. She was like, don't you have a ball gown? Just come down to the Artscape. We just pay you a couple hundred bucks and you 
Might be on SABC too. I did perform that night. Mm. I didn't win that uh, one. You I, were like because, a newcomer. Because I remember, yes, it was, a, and I enjoyed that night. That's how I know I didn't win. <laughs> Why do you hate it when you win? Well, I found like winning a comedy award wasn't a great experience. When did you? Like it was nice in the moment. Yeah. But then when you saw the comics afterwards. Oh yeah, that's in passive the, in aggressive, the congratulatory. Yeah, mm. You were like, mm. it is such a subjective thing. It's so difficult to give awards for it because if you ask anybody who their favorite comics are, they're all going to argue and go, oh, why do you like that guy? That guy's not funny. Like I'm talking American comics because yeah. we're all funny. In this but country. I don't remember that. But I do remember the like funny festival or something that you. Oh. You, you, were, you were like a, you were some doing, what were you doing there? A bikini girl. <laughs> See. When was that? That like 2005. 2011 was the oh, one I did. But I actually had been booked to do my first stand-up because I just moved in with Sivengezi and he'd said, because I was Twitter and blogging, making jokes. And he right. was like, you should get on a stage and do that. And I was like in a bit of a yes phase. You were a Twitter, that's right. Yeah, I used to yes. tweet. I mean, I still tweet, but it used to be a different thing. Um, Anyway, so then, and then I got asked to do this bikini thing. A friend of mine usually did it and she'd asked me to stand in. And so when Eddie Kassar, the great Eddie Kassar asked me, can I book you for this three week run? I was like, yeah, but I need this one night off because I'm going to go do my first open mic set. So it was really serendipitous because it was the best way to get ready for an open mic set because I'm with all you guys backstage and watching comics do the same 10 minutes, slightly different every night, seeing how crowds can be different. So I completely started understanding the craft because what open micer has that vantage point really. Yeah. And then also the comics were friendly and giving me advice, saying, okay, your name's weird. You've got to talk about your name. You've got to do this. Were you using your pretty privilege at that point? I mean, I was... What was your... I didn't... I, you always... Like, I was, I was the ugly... I was a failed model. So Were you a failed model? I was... Well, I was trying to be in the, in the spotlight. And as soon as I found comedy, I was like, oh, this is what I was trying to do. Yes. But I was trying to be an actress, and that's really difficult in this country. Were you like Audrey in that episode of Parks and Recreation where she tries out to be Miss Pawnee? I haven't watched Parks and Rec, so I don't know. But yes, sure. For the $600, which then she finds out is just a gift voucher from a gate company. And Amazing. so she quits. Does she get a gate? No, she's like, come on. <laughs> but that must have been hard but, trying to be a model. I mean, I wasn't trying. I mean, I would never go to like the Going modeling to the things. Castings. Did you go to a lot of A lot of castings. With a lot of and, models from and I was just Slovenia. Never booking anything. Yeah. And um, I have like this double chin thing. Um, and now obviously I've gained weight from lockdown. But even when I was skinny, it existed. And I remember once during a casting, they literally just stopped me. She was like, thanks, that's all, it, you're not right for the this chin, role. The chin. Yeah, she it's was like, we're doing a close-up and we need the jawline and you don't have the right look. And I went home and cried. And it was just so like, and I, yeah. So when I started comedy and to hear things like pretty privileged, I'm like, but I'm not the, the pretty one. I'm always the like the one they push. If I got a job, they like, just put her further to the back, further to the back yes. on every scene. Uh, so yeah, and then I started comedy and people were like, you can't do comedy, you're pretty. And I was like, am I? I'm staying in this industry. <laughs> I'm being validated in a way I didn't know. Yes. So no, I don't think I was consciously using any pretty privilege. I, unless you go get your car tires changed, then you wear a skirt and then they, yeah. then they tell you there's no charge. You know, do they? every woman knows that skill. <laughs> you don't go 
in your pajamas to the mechanic. <laughs> you dress up. <laughs> Not anymore. And now, so when was that? Uh, 2011, did you say that first open yes. mic gig was in yes. the middle of the funny festival? So it went really well because of all of those. Yeah. I, I think with this podcast, I, because we're so parochial, is that a word? Parochial? Yeah, isn't it like farmers? Like local? Yeah. That we assume no one will ever listen to this outside of uh, Meadow Ridge. Yeah. But we are talking about the Cape Town International Comedy Festival in 2011. It was actually the Jive Comedy the Jive. Festival. Or was it Vodacom or was it? It was Vodacom back it then. It was Vodacom. Vodacom Funny Festival. That's it. So you do your first open mic gig. Where was that gig? It was in Ragazzi on Long Street. Ragazzi. It was Ragazzi. At- Ciao, Ragazzi. <laughs> no, Ragazzi. Much more Ragazzi. African, not Italian. Right. It was through an African curio. Did you ever play there? I remember the African curio shop, but I never played there. Yeah, you had to walk through, and then at the back there was a staircase, and then there were was... Were there about 12 people there, or was no, it packed? No, it was packed. It was packed. It was packed for real, and I you have actually got footage of you it. You got the footage. Yeah, luckily. I didn't ask a friend, but then he couldn't believe that I was doing well, so he pulled out his Blackberry and did a little video. Did you crush it on your first open mic gig? <laughs> I was really lucky. The, the crowd knew it was my first time, so they were really, really kind to me. Yes. But um, because I'm this way, and I've always been like Maldi, and I taught English, and I was a lecturer, so... In South Korea. In South Korea, now yeah. it's coming back to me, park one, park two, park three. That's, yeah. <laughs> those are all What are those names of your children? Yeah, Tupac was twins, one Pac and Tupac, because their surnames were all Park. Excuse us, that's a. We sometimes get flybys in Mendoridge. It's the private jets. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so when I was struggling as an actress slash in the modeling world, because you can't really be an actress in Cape Town without also engaging with models, is what I wasn't. I did have a modeling agency, a shame. Anyway, Who were they? I can't even remember what they were called. I can't remember what they were called. They're not, they're obviously not a famous one. Obviously. I can't remember. And my acting agent recently fired me as well during lockdown. Really? Yeah. How did they do that conversation? They sent me an email and they were like, Over listen, email? Listen, you've uh, done really well despite us, but uh, since you don't really do well at castings, we've got to thin up our books. And I've been with them since 2006. And I was like, I think I've booked two jobs since 2006. I've I booked two jobs since I, since I cut my afro off in 2004, I think. Mm. Was the afro the quirk that got you I think work? it was. I thought it was just my amazing personality, turns out. <laughs> Did you find that crowds find you less funny without your afro? Initially, I think, yeah. I remember Mark Lottring talking about this when he shared his, his hair. Mm. And he was like, oh, is this what it's like for the rest of the normal people? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm finding that now, now that I've gained a bit of weight and I'm older. Now it's like, oh, the crowds don't really judge me as hard. You can just be a comic. Are you finding that? Yeah. Although I haven't been on stage much because of lockdown. Yeah. But the last one or two times. Or maybe I just, I'm just so strong now. <laughs> I, do, I don't know. But I also, I mean, Nick, you were my, my director of my first hour. And that was like the biggest validation that you even wanted to. But we often used to discuss that because I was so in my head about what to wear. Must I tie my hair up or down? And as a male comic, you hadn't really considered any of that and you thought it would be great to bring to stage and I still agree with that but I also don't know how to do it without sounding too vulnerable um Mm. like where people are bored in terms of too vulnerable not funny yes where they're like oh get over yourself tell us stories kind of thing yes but uh but it is a thing that every female comic can relate to that the the way I mean 
I went through a phase where I wore stilettos on stage and one time a guy came up to me afterwards thinking he was giving me a compliment, saying, you were obviously really funny, but I couldn't listen to a word. I was just imagining you naked in those heels. I've never worn those what heels. What did you say back then? You must have had some repartee. You, you don't though, because now you're off stage and you're kind of back right. to just being a girl at a bar. And yes. you're like, now I, I don't like that. You're making me feel incredibly like vulnerable. Like yeah. that's not an appropriate thing to say to a person you don't know. Yeah. So I think I just like awkward laughed and walked away. But I was also younger, so I didn't have, I now probably would have just said that's gross. <laughs> what is Somebody wrong asked with you? me yesterday about, a comic asked me who's not from here, about being directed or directing other comics. Mm. Yeah. Because where she's from, it's not a, it's not a thing. Yeah. And then I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, lots of people have directed me. Well, not lots of people, but I've been directed a lot. Mm-hmm. And I've only directed one show, which was yours. And then I couldn't think, like, what did I actually even do? I don't think I did much. I would say, like, with directing for us, it was more like collaborating. And then you were like a psychological coach, I would oh, right. say. Yes. It was just because I would come and talk to you about what I was planning on talking about. And then I would say... The asides were what you were interested in, which I'm always grateful to you for, because I would go, yeah, you know, I'm going to do a joke about this, but I can't say this. And then you'd go, why can't you say that? Why do you think you can't say that? And then you'd say, that's why you have to say that. And you challenged me because I was also very scared of crowd work. And you were like, that's a strength you have. So you made me write a section in where I did. You're like, really, did I do this? Look at your face. Um, where I had to do um, crowd work where I pretended to throw myself a surprise party and then I had to talk to the audience and ask them who they were and make them characters at this party and then also ask them about themed parties they'd had. So we did a whole like segment around my birthday because I just turned 30 and um, that's when I also found out that I looked young for my age because the little sound and lighting people at the National Arts Fest are like 18 and the girl said to me after one of my shows and she'd seen a few of them and she was like, you're not really 30 though, right? That's just for the, for the you're much younger. And I was like, really? How old are you now? 38. 38. Mm. And this is an interesting thing because as you mature as a, as a comic, it makes, you, you've already sort of referenced it in terms of, I don't care so much about how I look or what people are thinking. Mm. But what are some of the main things you've noticed in terms of, how your act has developed or how you've developed and how that's affected your comedy? I mean, I don't, I think everybody looks back at themselves five years ago as a comedian and you kind of cringe at where you were mentally and what you thought was relevant. So I literally have an actual remind reminders on this wall of how, Oh yeah, you've got all your pictures. Yeah, I cringe when I think of like that. That was my first. What's it called? Tell the people who listening. Thing there, the life and times of classy Kakprat. I actually called a show that. Oh look at how you pouting in all the photos. And uh, <laughs> am I? Look at that. I don't oh. know if the top left counts as a pout. Okay, there were two of them. There's a classic pout. I literally like threw that thing together, and I watched some footage of it that I uncovered recently, and it's so bad. It is and it isn't because it got you here. And if you hadn't done that, you wouldn't have taken the I next step. Have. So it is where we cringe about what we used to do. But, but I feel like I'm very, and I think a lot of comics feel the same right now. After this year, I'm very much in a writer's block place. Um, because 
everybody went through the same thing. Yes. So how do you tell a unique story right now where everybody, if, if you don't have the funniest story about a lockdown or a washing a dish or a neighbor making a noise, then don't bother because yes. another comic's going to do it better. And there's a meme that did it better as well. Mm, most likely. Or a TikTok. I mean, yeah. there's so many people like coming at the living situation right now where you can't just go, oh, so last week I was at the golf course. No, last week I was in my house, just well, like somebody, everybody else. Speaking of the golf course, I asked somebody how lockdown was for her mm. and she's a functioning sex addict. So she said, no, uh, it was hard, but luckily we live on the edge of a golf course so we could go onto the golf course uh, to have yes, sex, <laughs> but after hours. But I don't think that's romantic because it wasn't actually at all. So this is real or are you just telling no, me a joke? Real. No, no, I'm not telling you. Why, why would she want to do it on a golf course? Because she had teenage kids in the house oh. and they weren't going anywhere. Why don't you tell the kids to go to the golf course and have it in a bed? I don't, I'm thinking of grass. That's burn. a very good point. <laughs> I guess if you're a functioning sex addict, you like the kink of She also the has outdoor. like a vast collection of sex toys and she said she had to go and use them in the sloot out of her gate, between her gate and the golf course. I thought we didn't use the word salute anymore. Well. <laughs> you can't follow up. I like the use of the word salute, the way she used it, because it... I have to take my jersey off, so right, you're going to ruin continuity, but he's got central heating or something here. No, well, do we? I don't know. It's so much warmer here. That... I just think it's all this talk of sex toys and <laughs> salutes. Yeah. Speaking of... Da, the salute. Thank goodness I put a nice top on under here. Usually you just put your ratchet old pajama top. No? No, it's just me. <laughs> so yeah, but this is the thing. This is the thing. I, 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 we were at the premium sports bar a couple of nights ago. Okay. I hadn't been there for like two years or more. Yeah. And that gig was like, you know, that gig was explosive and you, you, you the, the room would just Mm. And now suddenly there are like 30 people in there and it's intimate. Mm. And somebody's doing all the elbow and mask jokes. And I don't have any of those. I've got nothing. Like I feel like a, a radio presenter called me the other day about a, a comedy club gig uh, uh, that he wanted to live stream mm. uh, on a weekly basis. And I was like, but uh, we will run out of material. If you're live streaming it to a thousand people. Yes. You know, we, they're going to see and the he was like, But it's. Been the pandemic. You should have four hours of material. Ugh. Why don't you? Ugh. Because I was we like, were, why don't I? We were, no, because we were in hibernation for our own creative sanity. I literally disassociated from comedy. I couldn't even watch comedy movies or TV shows. I was just like, bah, just radio. But you did watch about time. Yeah, many times. 20 times. And I cry, like as it starts now. Because I love this movie, I get so excited. The table tennis reminded you of that. Yes. The last time he gets to play with his dad. When his dad comes back. From the afterlife, because they rewind time. Yeah. How does it work? It's like, I mean, time travel. It's confusing. Don't try and dissect the time travel. There's a lot of plot holes if you do that. Right. I've seen the movie enough times that I'm like, just like, Have you astral traveled whilst on magic mushrooms? I have only tried magic mushrooms a handful of times, and they don't really work for me. To the point that if I'm at a festival with my friends, they're like, don't give it to her. You haven't had the correct dosage in the right conditions. And the one time they worked, I hated it so much because it was dark and windy. Just have a look in here. I think I might even He's have... drug dealing on me now. Uh, oh, look, they are much. Five grams of golden teachers for you. Hey, yo. Look at this. Now we've got reason to incarcerate me. We could but send you on an astral journey and you could find out the name of your unborn Labrador. 
true. I know. My mom uh, is very disappointed that there's no children coming from this. Okay, so what you're saying is I shouldn't feel bad that I don't have three hours of material. But the, the, people have done it. Mark Lotring is about to write his yeah, third Mark show. Mark is such a prolific writer. You can't compare yourself to him. You, no, no one can compare themselves to Mark. Are and you saying that there's the two roads diverged in yellow wood and one went to comparison and the other went to joy and you can't go in both directions? <laughs> yeah, it, yes. If that's children's story or something, <laughs> I don't know. But but no, I mean, I, I was really struggling to get back on stage because of the, exactly that. And I even couldn't, were my old jokes even relevant? Did people even care about laughing about politics anymore? And like, you yeah. know, identity. Uh, yeah. I found that my old jokes about um, suicidal middle-aged white guys definitely haven't aged. Yeah, that's fair. They don't. That's the problem. They stop aging. Because of the suicide, <laughs> but uh, no, but that I mean, mental health is very much the topic now because we all yes. broke down. Yes. I mean, I had to go on antipsychotics in really? December 2020. Yeah, which kind? I can't remember what they're called. I, they're the ones they also give to women when they're breastfeeding. They apparently also make breast milk. Were you just? Were you? What were you experiencing? What were your? Symptoms? I just didn't want to answer phone calls. I just didn't. I was so like disassociated because I was such a public energy out every night on stages, and because that had just gone, I just stopped craving it. And I just, even if my phone rang, I would just look at it. I'm. I don't have energy for this. I don't have energy to talk to anyone. And then I mentioned it to a close friend of mine when I finally decided to talk to her and like take a call. And she, her mom had committed suicide. So she's hypersensitive about that. And she was mm. like, you're, you're starting on the spiral. This is, and I was like, no, but I'm not like sad. Or, and she was like, it doesn't have to be sadness. It's just like, you're overwhelmed. You, you don't slip further, go get, go talk to someone. So mm. I just went to my normal GP and then he prescribed these, I can't remember what they're called. I have to look it up. But uh, he just gave me a month's thing and then he gave me a spare month, which I've still got. And if I have like a... Right. Were they antidepressants? They were antipsychotics. Antipsychotics. And he was literally like, well, try these, see if they get you over the hump. Otherwise, we'll look at more antidepressant right. Was type. he just kind of being preemptive? Like, you're a little bit depressed, but you might become psychotic <laughs> in the future. He was like, have you met this girl? <laughs> She's already psychotic. He was like, finally, I get to give her these things. No, but... He said they were stronger, but like shorter term. So the right. antidepressants, that would be a three what to six months. What is the definition month. of being psychotic, I wonder? I, I guess like the schizophrenia stuff. So probably. Hearing. Yeah. But he told me, calm down. I don't think you're psychotic. He just said they're a stronger version okay. of an antidepressant. So it'll push me over to not needing instead of doing right. a three to six month investment. I actually think I, I started preparing for this when I was 14. How old um, are you now? 40. Four. Okay. But I, I got quite depressed when I was 40 and very anxious. My wife put me on an anti-anxiety for a while. Mm. And I also have this aversion to taking medication for mm. that kind of thing. Because you're from Waldorf school, you want homeopathy. Correct. <laughs> but there's something quite amazing about an urbanol when you pop an urbanol. I don't know what that is. You feel is. instantly calm. Well, now I'm doing the Waldorf route. I'm on CBD pills. Oh, good. And they're called dreams. I actually got a whole <laughs> box of CD, CB, CDB, CBD stuff delivered, mm. which maybe I can give to you because they gave it to me when we had this traumatic incident with my mom being broken into. Oh, yes. And, um, and they gave me a vape as well, which I only tried to use about a month ago. 
And? And, I could, and I broke it. And that was actually more traumatic <laughs> than the whole, <laughs> the whole, whole thing. And then was I never used the CBD stuff. So if you want the oil, there's even, they even gave me some for my dogs. Oh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll take it. It's expensive. I'll take it. And so, yeah, I mean. This is such an so, aimless chat. Who is still listening at so this point? So many people <laughs> were experiencing those symptoms. Mm. It's very true. And like, many people for the first time. Me for the first time. Like, I used to ask me, how are you? And I'd be like, amazing, awesome. Every yeah. day was like, yes, I can't believe this is my life. And to this day. Laugh my life. Laugh hashtag. my life was literally my hashtag. And I wasn't being ironic. I stole it from Martin um, Evans, who was using it ironically to drag the Goliaths. <laughs> but then I was like, that actually resonates with me. I had it engraved in a ring and everything. I don't wear that ring anymore because it feels like I'm not there anymore. Right. I'll get back there. But literally every, because I worked every single day during lockdown. I was an essential worker on radio. And it was fine, but I think that took a toll because you had to be up and happy. We were addressing the pandemic, but positively. And yes. We had, we had you on once or twice where we did wine, wine o'clock. o'clock. So every day we would laugh and whine about lockdown. And to not actually be allowed to just wallow and, whatever, like everybody else, I think that's where I started to just spin out when I'd get home. I literally mm. just drank a bottle of wine every day for a year. <laughs> so you literally had wine o'clock after wine o'clock. Yeah, I would just get home and just drink and then pass out and then do it all over again for a year. So <laughs> it wow. wasn't a very healthy time. How are you feeling now? I'm getting there. That's what Where are you getting to? Just being able to answer how are you without going meh. Because yes. I was literally, like, it became a joke at radio. That's what I was mentioning that. Uh, when the, the guy at our reception every day is like, hey, how are you? And I'm like, eh, every mm. day. And then I'm just like, stop asking me. I don't know how to answer. And then two days ago, he said, how are you? And I said, getting there. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know I was going to say that. And I was like, oh, look at me. I'm getting there. Yes. I'm not fine, but we're getting there. And so is there a place of being fine? Or a place of being happy, or what is there? Well, is anybody really happy all the time, except for a golden retriever? That is true. <laughs> we both have golden retrievers. I think mine is unhappy. I don't walk him enough. Oh shame! But when you are feeling what, will you be like? When you say to that doorman, "What door person?" Good, great, great. Yeah. To get back to, I mean, I lived with Sivangezi for nine years. That man, when you ask him how he is, he always says awesome. So maybe the source of your um, emotional (laughs) struggle, it looked like it was the pandemic, but maybe it was living with Siv for nine years. Well, maybe, but also just before the pandemic hit, I moved out of living with Siv. Right. So maybe Siv was my source of power. He was my son and I was Superman. And then I moved away. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't. <laughs> I moved in with my partner. I think it's fine. But, uh, but then you also had to pretend that you weren't with your partner. Yeah. For radio purposes. I just still do. Shut do you up. still do that? <laughs> yeah. Well, I just keep him anonymous. Right. I just keep him out the public eye. Yeah. He didn't opt in for this life that I have. So That's true. Um, you did mention that where's this conversation going? Uh, is anyone listening? Yeah, I always feel like that, though. Yeah. Well, they're not right now. No. <laughs> well, there are two people because in here I've listening. I've been too scared to even put out one oh, of really? these episodes. <laughs> Nick! Because I don't know. Uh, which brings us to the question of 
what should we call this podcast? Because I'm still not sure. That sounds like a great name. I'm not sure what to call this podcast. Well, what should we call this podcast? Yeah. Okay. Well, because I am struggling to find a podcast I like. I actually put it out because I was thinking, obviously, about it this morning because I was coming here. So I tweeted saying, I can't find one. I listened to one or two episodes of all these big ones and I find myself like rolling my eyes at these people. And I'm like, oh, please, you're not as funny as you think you are. No, that was lame. Why are you laughing? And so I just like, no, hate that one, hate that one. But um, some of the names that people suggested today of their more obscure ones they like are really... For example? My brother, my brother and me. Yeah. That's one. Um, Nick, you ask me things. Have you listened to um, Jonathan Goldstein's podcast? Oh, what's it called now? JC. Put on the spot to ask things. It's not easy. But, but no, short answer, no. I don't really, I've kind of avoided podcasts. And what would you love to hear in a podcast? What, what? Um, well, like I want QI in a podcast. You want QI in a podcast? Yeah. And then there is a, the people who write QI have a podcast, but. Eh. So you wouldn't listen to this podcast? I mean, I was here, so I wouldn't. No, I don't need to hear it again. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I would, I would listen. I would listen to you talking to Marianne Tam. Because right. they're two minds that I, I yes. respect. I would listen to comedians talking to people. But the problem is, like, Mark Maron has a podcast that's highly rated. But then when he talks to other people that aren't funny, then I don't know. You could actually... I listen to him talking to Yo-Yo Ma, the, the cellist. Mm-hmm. And I could actually hear Mark Maron almost falling asleep. Mm. Like, yeah, this person's not funny. Uh, maybe I was just projecting it because I was yeah. falling asleep. Falling, but do you listen to podcasts in bed? I don't listen to them in bed. Debbie listens to them in bed. That must be very I like to listen to you. them when I'm walking the dog or on long drives. Yeah, driving is the one for me especially. Uh, and if I want to fall asleep, I'll listen to Tim Ferriss talking about psychedelics. <laughs> okay. Do you miss even like the really bad gigs? Yes. Bad gigs are the most fun. They are. But there's no pressure and that's where you birth better material what are like some of your favorite bad gigs ever some of the worst i don't i mean every time you played the purple turtle in in long street it was horrid but it was fun because the comics standing at the bar were laughing more than the. can you remember your first major death yes but it's very anticlimactic it was up in joburg and it was a big event but they brought out the food as I got on stage and right. any comic knows that that's just the worst. So it's not necessarily that I was dying, dying, but the last, no, I mean wasn't like coming. a gig where you wanted to get as far away from that scene of that. Yeah. It's, that one happened at Parker's in Joburg yeah. where they'd had a corporate buyout. So everybody there was from the same company and the person before me also hadn't had a fun time. And then I walked out and my opening line used to be, well, depended on the gig, but independent ladies make some noise and then everyone would cheer and then I'd launch into this feminist gag um and they didn't even cheer when I said that so there was nothing I didn't even lose them they just were not on board it was a room full of dependent ladies maybe but also you know so then I was like okay fine let's carry on and then then I was talking a bit more because you've got to do it And then there was a, a little a mumble at this table. And I love crowd work, thanks to you forcing me to learn that I'm good at it. So then I was like, wait, what's happening here? What are you guys saying to each other? Like, because I'm like, come on, give me something, people. And then the girl was like, I was telling her, I don't think you're going to be funny. <laughs> so 
but then I heard the barman at the back like wow because they see us every yeah. other day they know us well and <laughs> so then I was like oh okay and then I just started and, and it was a car company that's a uh a Korean-based car company, yes. So then I had a joke. Did you do your Korean Then I just, and it was such old material. Park one, park two. But I did a joke about China and the Paralympics, and then they started shouting, Korea, Korea. And I was like, yes, that's also an Asian country. Like, why are you guys just shouting? And they're not Korean people. They're yeah. Joburg-based people. And so then I was like, okay, but fine. I actually, and then they cared a little bit more for my Korean material. But uh, I did my 20 minutes of sweat. And then you walked off, and Parker's at the back, the backstage was just really a passage. Yes. Uh, and there was a greasy kitchen at the end of yes. that passage. And all the staff in that kitchen laughed and hugged me and said, we know you're funny. Really? <laughs> like it was like you decided to go to them. Well, for... I, well, I walked through and everyone was like, don't worry, Angel. That's hilarious. We know. And then Dusty Rich was still in South Africa and he was headlining. Yeah. And I think it was his last gig in the country pretty much. So he was so angry because then there was a break and then he was going to go on. And he was like, why are we doing this? I hate this. And he was swearing like in his hilarious way, like backstage shouting at the manager, like, yes. fuck you. I don't want to do this. And then he was like, well, I'm just going to go out there and tell this audience how shit they are because what's Joe Parker going to do? Fire me. I'm and, leaving the country. Right. And he went out there and just started insulting them and he killed. He like got them on his team. And but, so then I was like, is this a learning moment for me? And I think that my gender like prevented that. I don't think I could have started insulting them. I mean, he was telling the, who's the boss? Who's his wife? You look like you're Helen Zilla's best friend. You look at your fur coat. And he just started insulting everybody's line of work. And he was coming out there angry, but he obviously can find the funny. And they, they bought into Did you that. wait around at the end of that? Yeah. I watched his set, yeah. You watched his set. Did you wait for the audience? No. No, you, you don't make eye contact with don't them. Don't make eye contact. You got the fuck out of there yes and then right. the worst is if someone goes oh i've seen you i was at that gig and yeah. then you're like no that and when you left that you funny. walked out of parkers into that uh casino with yes. the fake roof with yeah, the, clouds. always clouds and whatever you found your car somewhere yeah you got in your car you were staying like sometimes we want to drive as far away from the gig as we <laughs> can did you yeah. contemplate driving to for example pretoria <laughs> You know what? That gig didn't hurt as much as other minor deaths. Which one? The big where they yeah. heckled me. Yeah. I was like, I couldn't have done anything. Where was that? The Parker's one. Oh. That was the one I, I was like. You I were like, okay. I kind okay. of brushed that I one I want to know off. one that hurt you, that actually hurt you. The first one that I mentioned earlier where they ate, and it wasn't actually that oh. big a death, but I had, I'd been this golden child. I'd had great times on stage yeah. from the moment I'd started. I didn't know how to deal with when the people weren't enraptured with me and now they were enraptured with their society in front of them and talking about Did that themselves. make you want to drive to Pretoria? Yeah, I was really sad. And Siv sent me a voice note the next morning of Queen, the show must go on, like the whole song. He just, and I woke, you wake up with like, you feel like you went through a breakup. You know, those first like five minutes of, well, first five seconds of waking up when you're like, oh, it's just a day. And then you remember, and then you're like, oh, I hate everything. No, you don't have Yes, that? Okay. many times. <laughs> KG Mohadi's um, solution to this, mm. uh, his worst ever gig was in KZN, uh, somewhere outside of Durban, two hours from Durban, I want to say. Okay. And he literally got in his car, walked straight off stage, got into his car and drove <laughs> to Pretoria. 
<laughs> Is that why you said, did I want to drive to Pretoria? Because it's both a metaphorical place and an actual place <laughs> that KG goes to after a bad gig, no matter where that gig is. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, no, I don't, there's no way, I also have that book I just noticed. The Hundred Year Old Man, it's the one I'm currently reading. Oh. The Hundred Year Old Man Who Climbed Out Ove? the Window and Disappeared. Ove is a different one, but yeah. it's a similar Norwegian... Yeah, Norway yes. or Sweden. It's a great book. It is. I'm halfway through it. Love to. Don't ruin it. Anyway, um, I don't know. I just want to go pull myself under a duvet and hide. I don't want to open social media. Ooh, there was one when I did a big 4,000-seater Kings and Queens. Yes. And they had the terrible foresight to put the live Twitter stream, if you put the hashtag, uh, they had it on the on big screens screen on either side of the stage. Well, I couldn't see Afterwards, it, but the crowd could it. see it. Well, the other part was I used to run Twitter accounts because I was good at Twitter. So they'd also given me a little couple extra grand That's to right. run their Twitter account. So you had to Yes, read you everything. know, because I phoned you in tears after this one. Did you? And yeah, because they called me boring. I remember, because I did all my safe material because I was so nervous to please 4,000 people. And I'm much ca- more comfortable in like a 50 to 100 seater where I can read the room and know where I'm going if it's too much or too yeah. late. So I just thought, let me just do all safe material. And someone tweeted, who needs to count sheep when the school is on stage and, and stuff like that. So I got off stage thinking, oh, it went pretty well. I hit all the punchlines. And then I opened the Twitter to just like do the social media that they're asking me to do. And all the tweets were terrible. And because it's so many people, you can't actually tell how you're doing. Have you kept a collection of those tweets anywhere? No, no. It'd be great to have you reading mean tweets. Well, that's, that's it. Who, and then someone else said, I think the person three people down has fallen asleep. They were all just asleep roasts. I want to talk to you about your dad because you and I share this older dad thing. Mm. Um, what was the age gap between your parents? I think 28 years. 28 years. You're actually the closest to me that I've ever yeah. met. Your dad, there's a bigger gap. 32 though. years. Yeah. You, 28 years. And this is a fascinating story that you <laughs> obviously tell on stage as well. Yeah. But... Where does it begin? And just take us through it, because I love it so much. Well, it all begins at the cult. The cult, the the angel of light, the... Yes, the people of the light. The people of the light. I might be paraphrasing, but that's what I've internalized it's called. Right. Um, I'm probably messing up the shot with my back here. Have we run out of anything? No. We're all fine. Um, So, my mom... It's more crazy than I even tell people. Do they meet at the cult? They meet in the... They met... My mom was uh, doing something with film. My dad owned a film production company. So she rented film stuff from him, right. from his company, when she was in university. Because that's <laughs> the age gap. And then... She's in university. She's like 20. Yeah, 21, 22. 21, 22. He's 50. Pretty much. Late 40s. Because right. he was 50 when I was born. Okay. Um, so early 40s, actually. Yeah, but whatever. Can't do math. Round there. And his wife is dying of cancer at the time. Right. So my mom would bump into him from time to time at the hospital because her aunt, who she loved, was the head of obstetrics and gynecology at Addington. And this is where I may be wrong, but I assume my dad's wife was getting some treatments and stuff. So he should see him. Then this one I didn't believe, but it has been verified quite recently by my dad's daughter, my sister from his first marriage. 
that my mom says she sat up in the middle of the night and knew that she had to contact my dad and she phoned him on his landline at his house, which she didn't know. She just, this is exactly. Right. I She know. downloaded the number from the cloud. From the cloud. She just yeah. punched in a number in her sleep, basically, and said, I'm phoning to say my condolences. I'm coming over. You can't be alone. And he was like, she's not dead yet. She had just died. My sister says my mother was visiting, making tea for everyone before the body was taken out of the house. But it wasn't anything. There was no like chemistry or flirting. It was just, she was just like, I need to be here for you. And then within two weeks, they were like, you know, we have to get married. Like they hadn't held hands yet. And it's something to do with. And during those two weeks, she had seen you during a moment of conception. No, she only had oh, no, me she only like had seven mind. years later. Oh, wow. Yeah, they were married for a while before I was born because my gran had asked my dad to. They didn't have grieving to. sex. <laughs> I think maybe they did. Maybe they did. Maybe they did. But uh, anyway, so that's the, the basic, the top level. Um, and then, then, of course, my brother was born and then myself. Um, and then my mom and dad got divorced after like 12 or 14 years of marriage, but I was only seven. That's why they were married for seven years before. And then my mom was his second wife out of five wives, which is... Five? <laughs> I did not know it was that many. <laughs> right. Five? Yep. He even he had, had a Jewish three. wife. Even. When was the Jewish wife? She was the fourth one. Who was third? This lady called Barbara. Barbara didn't last long. No, I don't remember because I didn't see him much. The divorce was quite traumatic and I was living with my grandparents and I'd visit him once a year. And there was a lady called Barbara, wow. all biggie best. And was that hectic that first year? Did you, were you close to him or you weren't? No, I wasn't very close no. to him because he was just always an older person. He, him and my grandpa are literally two years apart. Right. So the Same w- with my dad. He and my mom's, my grandpa were two years apart. Amazing. Fought in the war together. Yeah, exactly. My grandpa was a bomber pilot for the RAF or for the South African Air Force in Italy. And you my, might have known my dad's best friend. He was really? also a bomber pilot. Yeah, it's too late now. They're too late. They're dead both now. dead. Okay, so then Barbara comes along. Uh, then there was Barbara. Then there was Lorraine, who was Jewish. Lorraine. Yeah. She had the, the little, the gray hair, short haircut with the bubble, you know. Right. And uh then they put the little scroll at the doorway. I don't know what you guys call yes. it. And he converted. To, he converted. I believe so. Yeah. He, there was no more bacon in the reform. house. He converted reform. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He just like respected her, her way of living. Wow. Um, and then after Lorraine, then, then there was Pinky, who was the Zulu Okay, woman. wait. Pinky is the best part. <laughs> the technical team isn't paying attention now, but they have to listen to who Pinky was. Not Pinky. So my dad met Pinky. I only found out he'd married her right. after He's they got married. He's gone number one who dies of cancer. Then your mom. Then there was just they divorces. Get divorced. Then there's um, Barbara. Barbara. Lorraine. And then how does he meet Pinky? Pinky Mseleku. He met her in a rose garden. A rose garden. Where? In the Durban Botanical area. The Durban Botanical Gardens Rose Garden. Right. And they believe that that rose garden was planted for them to meet in it. Like yeah, they were right. like, we're soulmates. This has been ordained from the beginning. But now Pinky and Selek, who's from- Did the- they hear a big voice from the cloud going, I never promised you a rose garden, but here it is. <laughs> yes, that's, that's how did you know? 
was a Jew. But, but no, the, the Mseleku family, you might know of Becky Mseleku. He's a famous jazz musician. Okay. And he, they'd been living in exile. So Pinky had been in exile with her family. Like they were activists. In which countries? Like Southern Africa? I want to say the UK okay. or, uh, but she still had a very like strong accent. She didn't like pick up the British accent or okay. anything. Um, she had a very strong Indian accent. Yes. 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 Um, so she came back and she just got I'm back. I'm joking. This was 1998. So yeah. it's like four years after it was legal for black people right. and white people to be together. Yeah. And they just fell in love like soulmate level, like obsessed with each other. So cute. I only know this because of all the letters she would read at um, their funeral, at his funeral. Uh-huh. She like read all these she love letters. She read all the letters? She read, not obviously the dirty God, ones. God, must have been a long <laughs> eulogy. <laughs> but no, she would just read little love letters that they used to hide in okay. each other's things. And it was really sweet. But anyway, so... She um, and my dad met and they kind of had a shotgun wedding, if you will. But they were both, I mean, in their 70s. Oh, so. she was also in her 70s. Mm, they were both older people. Wow. She maybe was about 10 years younger than him. But she, he, my mom was the only young one. All the others right. were age appropriate. Okay. Um, and then, uh, obviously, I met her for the first time at my dad's funeral. And this is the part I talk about on stage. And again, KG Mukhari, who you mentioned earlier, he's one of my closest confidants in comedy. And I told him this story over a beer. I was like, you know, I had a Zulu stepmom, man. You know, I didn't get a trust fund because she inherited everything. And he was like, you've got to talk about this on stage. He was like, Did she really inherit everything? Yeah, she everything. Really yeah. I got a photo album, literally. Wow. And like four Were grand. You even in that album? Yes, okay, baby yeah. photos of me. But, uh, and like four grand, which I thought was a lot because I was in matric and it felt like a lot of money. <laughs> My mom was like, you're supposed to get And how is she when millions. you meet her at the funeral? Is she warm? She was she was lovely. She wasn't yeah. very warm because I was with my sisters and my sisters... And also, her husband was freshly dead. Well, yeah, that too. She was warmer than him, at least. Yeah. But uh, she... <laughs> she was... Um, there was a lot of tension between her and my sisters. My sisters had literally said... And are these sisters from all those marriages or just... Just, I'm the last born. Yeah. So, okay. it's... Okay. They, right. My dad had twins okay. with his first wife. So, there's a bit of tension going on. They're being... The they, funeral happens. They're all saying, don't bring her to our house. We've got dogs. Literally. And now it can be interpreted as racist, but it's not. It's just no, tension. It's, no, it was racist. It was racist. I can't bring no pinky to the house. It was not because they didn't like their new stepmom. It was definitely because of what she was. Right. Um, but also she's from a family that's been in exile. So their side of the family is also not like very happy with white South Africans. So everybody was like tense. Right. So there really was at the funeral, it was in a big church and that side of the the church was black and this side was white. And um, I think like there was a, my dad sort of legally adopted Pinky's nephew who she'd legally adopted. And he was there. And I remember looking across at him, a good looking guy, my age, and he was crying and wiping tears. And I just, it's a life I don't understand. I didn't know my dad, but these people loved him enough to be weeping at his funeral. Um, and it was quite bizarre. But then of course it all popped off when we had to take his ashes to throw in the ocean. And that was his wish, not Pinky's wish. His wish. His wish. To be scattered uh, North Beach. Where are we, Durban? Yeah, just the Durban beach front. Right, well, right. this is where, because then the sisters sort of tapped out and then Pinky had the ashes and she was going to do it. What did she have them in? Were they in a... In an urn. An urn. In an urn like that they give you. Like a wooden box or a... Like a, like a gold... The, the plastic gold bronze yeah that's yeah. bronzy that yeah. if you leave it it's gonna okay. go green um so then 
nobody sort of said to her, because you know when you think throw ashes in the ocean, go on a pier, you go on a yacht. <laughs> yes. But nobody sort of cleared that with her. And also in the Zulu tradition, cremation and ashes is just no. not like... So she just walked into the, the shore, waves. Into the waves. Fully dressed. Fully dressed. Same and she was a very funeral. large woman. Right. So the... Yeah. <laughs> then she nearly drowned. That's the... Are you, where are you at this point? On the beach? On the beach. Watching. Yeah. And she's on her own. And everyone's trying not to laugh because... <laughs> Because it's a sad moment, but now Pinky literally got knocked over by the waves. Really? And holding the, still holding. holding. The she hasn't yet. <laughs> she, 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 How she, do you? <laughs> well, the problem is then there's water in the urn. So <laughs> now you can't. Is there now water in the urn? So now, now she's like. What's happened? She, yeah. So once the waves have happened, now there's water in there. Oh so my God. what happens when you put a fine powder with water, you get like a clay. Yes. So now she starts to like scoop him out. And then. <laughs> She's like adding water in and swirling him out. And uh, yeah. Who decides, like, you see her hit by the waves. Does someone go in to like rescue her? What, what happens? No. You just leave her. She's <laughs> so she stands up again. Then she stood up and, and now she's her digging. Down. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, so on stage, I, I elaborate as you do as comedians yes. and, and take a little bit more creative um, license. But what? Uh, give me some of that. Well, I talk about how she unscrews. I, I tell the story. I paint the picture with a lot more. Paint the picture for us. We, we don't know when you might tell the story stage. again. There might be a wave seven. <laughs> so I talk about how she, so I say we get to the beach and then you could have chartered a boat or gone on a pier in Yana, but my sisters were just like, there's the sea, sick. So then Pinky <laughs> takes the love of her life like a rugby ball. <laughs> <laughs> just makes a beeline. And it was January, so it was hot, but the sea's always colder than you expect. Yeah. That first wave always takes you a little off guard. Like so COVID. That, yeah. <laughs> Lol. So that first wave comes around her ankles and she's like, yep. So she looks back at us, but we're like, well, we have to go deeper. You can't yes. You can't just throw them on the wet sand. That's not going to be fun for the next sandcastle. So then she, <laughs> she's like... Okay, deeper. So now she's she's timing the waves. She's not comfortable going deeper because yeah. this is like a 78 year old gogo. Yeah. The furthest, this is as deep as she's gone into the ocean. You don't yeah. have to go further to take your two liter Coke bottle and fill it with water, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, oh, it feels out of context. Yeah, it's great. I've talked about my yeah, white yeah, privilege yeah. on stage before I do you this have, joke. You have, you've <laughs> so, done all of that. So the crowd knows where I stand we politically. Know. But uh, anyway, so, so, so she goes a bit deeper. And then there's a lull in the in the in the waves, and so she she unscrews the lid, and then in a moment of kindness, she turns to include the congregation so that we can witness this final goodbye. Yes. And she starts to say a prayer or a poem. As far I can't hear, but she's taking a long time. Yes. And what's the first rule of the ocean? Never turn your back Never on the ocean. Never turn your back. I don't think Pinky knew that. Right. Because what happens when you turn your back? Does that double up cock where it's yes. like that and. Oh yeah, I do a whole other gag about how Mlungu for white people actually means the the, the froth. froth of the ocean, and the sea. Yes. Yeah, so the scum of the, the scum sea actually. Of the sea. But she's literally the only other person. Well, it's in my gag because yeah. now she's got this big frothy, angry white wall of Mlungu coming for her. Yes, and she thought her struggle days were over, <laughs> but she's got, so I see this and I'm like, Pinky, turn around. My sister's like, Shh, let it happen, and then. Uh, <laughs> 
it's like that slow motion moment where you've been in the waves. You've, we've all experienced this where you hear yeah. it just in time to turn so it can push clap you. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so. And she hadn't done that free diving course with John McCarthy. She <laughs> no. didn't know the recovery rep. <laughs> <laughs> she did, she did, so we lose her and then this part is the true part where we've like we can't see her you see a foot you see a hand you're just like is this suddenly two people's funeral and then she regains she stands up but she's she's still got the urn under her arm but she's lost her wig but she's she's just left <laughs> she in really thing. lost her wig no. no, she was actually just in a dip from the start but she's got this thingy with the colicky on top which is a funny mental image and now now she realizes that we're laughing at her and she's panicked and now offended and angry. So she doesn't want to give up and say she can't do this. So yes. she's determined. And that's when she starts scooping she him notices out. that he's formed a paste. So she starts scooping him out. But the, but the top of the urn is quite small, so she can't get her whole hand in. So then she turns him upside down. Right. But it's like that bottle of but tomato sauce. But your dad sauce. was always stubborn, wasn't he? Well, exactly. He's like, not yet, my love. <laughs> She's like, but tomato sauce. <laughs> Just whacking. Did she really? She might have. Yeah, she might have. I don't remember. We can't quite recall. I can't, it, was, it was 21 years ago. But um, so, yeah, so she's doing that. And then um, now she's looking back because waves always come in sets when they get fussed like that. Sure, yeah. And there's no way she wants to go through that ordeal again. So now she's... Also, she was thinking of body surfing back. <laughs> yeah, well, she, she, yeah, she could have. But I think she wants to find her wig more desperately in my fake story. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so now she's coming back out of the sea and... Um, it's almost like she's decided the dry sand is the finish line and she has to empty it before she, before hits. she gets there. So she's just going, going. So she's coming towards you now. Yeah, like running. Thing. But she's like, you know, calf deep, like swishing right. and then looking back. And then as a last ditch, she rescrews the lid, kisses it and just throws him like a Hail Mary straight into the ocean. <laughs> She's like, he's in. Like, but right. on stage, I say, and he throws them, and she's like, "Fuck white people." <laughs> this is ridiculous. And um, and, and then Spider Murphy on the back of the head. <laughs> so Conrad Koch, actually, after he first heard that story, he suggested this final line, which is the biggest like applause of the night. Where then I say, I just like to think that the Zulu ancestors were watching the scene unfold. Their daughter returned from exile throwing a dead white guy back into the ocean from where they came. And then, then I just go, you can hear the hilltops going. <laughs> and so, so that's the, the, the mostly true story about my dad's funeral. Um, and it took you, uh, that funeral happened when you were how old? 16. 16 Seven, years old. Yeah, 16. And when was the first time you performed that whole piece of music? On my second performance of Devil's Advocate in 2017. And you were how old? I don't know how old I was in 2017. 34? 34. So it took 18 years. Yeah. It took me about 10 to talk about my dad's death, which turned out to be such a great story. Yeah, I remember when you started talking about it with the money in the pockets yeah, and oh, yeah, such yeah. a great story. And so, like, how long should we give ourselves to write pandemic material? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, some of the stories of people's grannies in pandemic, like, 
bodies, the, the macabre comedy yeah. around the deaths. I mean, the, my one friend was telling me how they couriered the wrong body to the funeral home because they're dealing with so many. Yeah. And they were like, this isn't our granny. Then they had to curry her back. And it's just like, it's terrible. But it's funny. It is funny. I went to only one funeral. I went to a few Zoom funerals, mm. but I went to one live one at the at the Pinans Jewish Cemetery, mm. and they also had, had like the most you know funerals they'd ever had in a row, like multiple a day. And yeah. the guys there who took my dad away—it's the same guys. They're, they're the guys with the social anxiety and the whatever. Shame, yeah. And and they, as I went out, they recognised me, mm. and um, which happened at my dad's funeral as well. Like, oh, you're the comedian. <laughs> God. I've got one for you. Uh, <laughs> that's exactly what you feel like. <laughs> and Jesus, see, Claire, we're trying to record a podcast here. The, the camera guy just... He's anyway. bored now. Um, and, and they recognize me now. Mm. During lockdown, the guy's like, Nick, it's been a tough for us. Like, just give us something, man. Oh, come on. Just though. give us something. <laughs> oh. And then well, what do you say? Uncle just died. Yeah. Okay, I will. Because, <laughs> you know, I haven't performed for a while. <laughs> Did they want like a joke? <laughs> they wanted a joke. Oh, I thought they wanted money. No. <laughs> they wanted material. What did you do? I said, well, I'll I'll give you one that one of you gave me uh, half an hour after my dad was buried. Oh yeah. Uh and I just I just gave it back to you. I don't I don't think what that was guy the joke? was there. Do you remember? He said to me, uh, Mick, you know why um he might be dead now. Especially with that voice. You know why they don't, uh, uh, you know, I've been uh, uh, working for the Chev. That's the Jewish undertake. Uh, okay. Uh, for 42 years now. And um, you know why people don't like me? Why? Because I always let them down. <laughs> you can use that, Nick. And so I, I said that joke to them. And, they, and the guy didn't laugh. He just looked at me and said, yeah, that sounds like Arnold. <laughs> Has anyone ever told you a joke after a gig that you like? Once or twice. Really? Uh, has it happened to you? Not that I can think of. I mean, yeah, like, like, it's very rare that an audience member will, will, will suggest something that you like is actually mm. usable, but it mm. has happened. It has happened once. A Muslim guy said to me that my joke about Muslim dogs would sound much better if the dog said, Ufa. Ah, and you do that. Ufa. He mm. said, Ufa. And I was like, well, that's good. I'll try that. Yeah. Well, I guess if they're giving you actual, but actual content jokes. feedback, yeah. But no. yeah, no. No. I used to get great stories when I worked as a river guide many years ago. You worked as a river guide? That was one of my first jobs. On what river? The did Orange River. Oh, did you do those canoe trips? I did the canoe trips. I've done them two or three times. But I could have got the job because people, all the guides resigned en masse. And oh. I just happened to be there. Was it Easter? On my second trip. It was Christmas. Mass. Or New Year. Yeah. And they just, everyone resigned and they took, it was a Catholic they joke. took the assistant, no sorry. Quantum Catholic jokes with Jews. It wasn't mass. Midnight mass. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they said, you're going to lead the next trip. Wow. But it wasn't that stressful, just keeping drunk people from drowning. It was very stressful. Is that our time up? Uh, no, it's an alarm to tell my mother whether or not she has to fetch her grandson. So does she have to fetch I had to grandson? carry everybody's shit on my boat because you, you, you had to shit into a black bag oh. uh, on a mobile toilet yes, that yes. I carried on my boat. Someone actually... Oh. And I carried, had to carry people's poop. 
That's for three and a half, four days. Did it leak or was it boat. fine? Was it pretty airtight? Uh, it was pretty airtight. I mean, I probably capsized once or twice, but you had to tie everything to your boat. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what are some of the stories? Is that one of your stories? You talk about that on like stage? They were all like Afrikaans. You know those old Afrikaans stories I used to mm. do? Like, no, I don't. Yeah, that's also trying to yacht on you. You know, like, be simple, you know, it's, it's too old for you. <laughs> Because I'm kind of new in the comedy world. I mean, I, I guess it's my 10th year now. They used to have a guy called Tola van der Merwe, for example. Mm. And they'd sit around and they'd tell these stories. So they had TV shows and stuff mm-hmm. in the 80s. Mm. And they yeah. yeah, we used to go hunting in the mountains. And I was loose and he was and and I know about Tola just because I work on a dual medium English Afrikaans radio now. So when we talk about old TV shows on air, then a lot of the listeners bring up Afrikaans. You are like really that. great on air. I've told you this before, but, mm. but I really enjoy listening to you. Thanks. I don't know how to deal with compliments. <laughs> I'll just say thank you. That's the best way. Yeah. Thank you. Because as a woman, especially, I don't know, men don't seem to do it as much. As soon as you get a compliment, you want to downgrade it somehow. Uh, my dad, I had to teach my dad about that. Mm. Um, what did he do it too much or not no he couldn't accept compliments about his pottery about his his work and people were always complimenting and he'd say but there's a problem with this yeah i'd say no it's it's actually a second you see this crap yeah 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 and that's this handle shouldn't have been yeah that's that's my instinct with every compliment someone says oh i like those shoes i'll go oh but they were 50 bucks it's like nothing yeah and and with radio it's like yeah but but i guess it's a good Quality in the sense that I'm always striving for better where I can't, if I just say thank you and accept it, then that means that I think it's enough. No, it doesn't mean that. That's what I think. It just it means. means that you don't trash their gift. That That's true. You. That is true. You, you are completely correct. And if I give someone a compliment and they downgrade it, I'm like, well, why am I wrong? Yeah. You're telling them they're wrong. You're, you're right. I'm good on radio. <laughs> I can't do it. But it is, I mean, my co-host is, is uh, very good at being, he's like my live studio audience. He laughs very easily. He so does. it's very validating. And people assume he's fake laughing. He truly isn't. Like, I've seen him I have live. To, and he's yeah, yeah. He's, and I have to like mouth at him, like move away from the mic because he'll still laugh at full volume into the mic. And I'm like, just. You have to laugh off mic. <laughs> he gets told by the bosses that he has to like ride his fader. And sometimes he'll go stand in the corner and laugh. And they're still like, why was he? so loud and i'm like guys he's really not he's not hamming it up so yeah he's great he does tell very terrible jokes milan's written a bunch of talking points on the door and we've covered most of them and um except one or two there that normally our guests well actually in every episode so far uh people have brought up their genealogy i've never had to ask anybody about it oh why would they just bring up that what like my dad but that, actually, yeah, your dad, I guess that that. that my dad's yeah. from England, and my mom is from Zimbabwe, but her parents are from Denmark. Wow, Cape Town for my genealogy is Denmark, Scotland, and England. Huh? Have you had your DNA tested? No, but I really want to. 
And I want to do it where I do it and then my mom does it so that I can decipher which parts come from my dad. Yeah. So that she can say, this is what I have in common with you and we can see the common ground. And then, because I don't know much about my dad and I do regret that. Because the more I hear from like my sister's friends, because my sister's in her 60s and the other ones passed away at the beginning of 2019. But they, when I was at that one's funeral, actually, so many people who knew my dad because they were my sister's friends were talking to me about what I was like as a toddler. And it was giving me this kind of closure that, because my dad is such an abstract in my life, that to hear what he said about me as a toddler and stuff was quite, quite nice. And to hear that he was really funny and really great at telling a story and really cool like he'd say cool cats and ironically in the 60s like he was one of those guys who could get away with calling people cats yes and apparently he was like a really hip dude have you ever communicated with your dad via psychic medium yes what did he say <laughs> and was it disappointing i didn't go there wanting to speak to him i wanted to find out about, about a boyfriend obviously right. who did and, you see uh she was an old lady in um the, like right opposite the, the Blue Root Mall there in Takai. Yes. But this she, is my grand. Do you think so? No. She's died now. Yeah. I can't find her. She so was great. Well, oh. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. I don't think she had a. I don't know if she was Jewish. So she made me through. fix her internet while I was there. She was oh, really? a bumbly old lady. She was great. I was like, I can't. You're psychic, but she's. signal. Well. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Didn't, don't they normally just no the internet stuff? Yeah, you know they didn't Google you beforehand if you arrive yeah. and she's like, my internet doesn't work. Um, Our connection's unstable. <laughs> but but no, so I wanted to find out about other stuff. And at the very end, she said, I'm actually a medium. Is there anyone who's passed on that you want to talk to? And I was only 22, 23. And I said, well, my dad's died, but there's not much I want to say. And then she was like, oh, yes, he's British. He's very funny. And he's not calling you Angel. He's calling you Pooh, which is my nickname for my family. And uh, then because I studied film and stuff, and my dad was a filmmaker, I w would often think to myself, like, now I've got something in common with him. If he was alive after my university, then I'm actually the most like him of his four children. And then she said, he says, you often think he'd be proud of you today, but he's saying he was always proud of you. And he, and she doesn't know who he is or what like the age mm. dynamic is. So she just goes, but he says he didn't bond with you because he didn't, he knew you would lose him early and he didn't want you to suffer a profound loss, but he's shaking his head saying he was an arrogant fool and you would have been fine. He just robbed you of knowing him. Wow. So that was all pretty profound for me. Um, that same psychic told me that I was going to find success with comedy. And at the time, I thought, yeah, I'll be cast like Phoebe and Friends or something. And then only after I started stand up for a while, I remembered that story. Phoebe esque. Yeah, I know. In, hi in high school, everyone used to tell me I was Phoebe ish because Friends was big back then. It's the 90s. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Ditsy is what it is. Uh, Angel Campy, um, we've got five minutes left. Okay. Is there anything you would love to talk about? Give me a tight five. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. I don't know what else do you know we've been like it's been a very dad theme <gasps> bless you thank you coronavirus <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of sneezing in COVID it's no. more coughing um, but the when people ask me about like dad validation the time you came to my first hour when we did it at the Alexander bar upstairs yeah. when you directed me and you were there and I joke about it but it is actually a very true thing I mean you're only what like 
six, seven years older than me. I could have had a teenage pregnancy. Well, the point being that the father figure you represented in my like coming of age into as a comedian, because I did the show and I've got that self internal deprecating, don't want to take a compliment. I've been fine, I guess. I've survived. I did an hour and I was backstage afterwards. And it was a lovely show. Everyone was very warm and I was really sick. I kept coughing and ruining the timing of punchlines. <laughs> Just, but uh, we got through it. And then you came back and the pride in your eyes is the closest. And I'm really not like being like melodramatic. It's the closest to what I imagine a father's pride would have looked like because it was like a male energy and you were just like, you did it. I'm so proud of you. And it was like a very like weird wash of like, oh, is this what like fatherly validation feels like from like a completely no ulterior like emotion other than you did something and I see you for who you are. And it's, it's, it's a weird that you and me are like kind of colleagues, but then you gave me that in my, in my life. <laughs> wow. So thanks, Nick. <laughs> You're welcome. I was trying to think of something funny deprecating to, to, d- to diffuse it. You yeah. see? see, but uh, I'm laughing because it's awkward, and I'm like, ha ha. See, it's, it's no, amazing. it's beautiful. And um, but I often quote it in, in um, interviews where people ask me what's like a moment where you were like really proud of yourself as a comedian, and I often say when Nick Rabinovitz came backstage, and I could see that he was proud of me. Then that allowed me. You know. Uh, it reminds me of, of something. So that guy up there that you're looking at there, it's my godfather, Percy. Mm-hmm. And he was an actor. He, he, like, he would have been a stand-up comic, but there wasn't stand-up comic. Oh, right. And we're winding up. Milan says we're going to wind up. Milan doesn't want it anymore. No. <laughs> Tell me quickly about Percy. When he died, um, there was a singer an Afrikaans singer, I forget her name now. And she wrote to me, or I think it was to me, maybe it was on Facebook, I don't know. But she said one of the life-changing things in her career was he came to see her perform and said, I think she was doing covers of things or whatever, and he said, you have a voice, like, you can find, you can find it and you can be you mm. and, and be great as you and, like, she said at that time she was not sure about herself and all that stuff. Yeah. It was such a validation. And, and she always remembered, she always remembered that. See, now we have to wrap up, but now I want to ask you if anyone ever ask did me. that to you. Yeah. Is it? Because there's one or two moments through our careers where you go, this person you he, respect. He did that for me. I mean, I used to collect his jokes in, in a little black book. Mm. And so the first time that he... I remember he came to watch me for the first time. Is that we, you we and him together? No, no, it's not. We did a lineup show somewhere, and uh, Koki Falco was the MC. And the first thing, actually, the only thing I remember him saying after that gig was, Why does the MC have to tell me I'm going to love this next guy? <laughs> I'm not going to love this next guy. Just because you said that. <laughs> but I knew that he was proud of me, even though it was difficult for him to, to say that. Mm. As it was also difficult for my dad to say that. What, they to were give, from that generation. To give compliments. Give compliments or express pride or, or love. But mm. I knew that, that he was proud. And I'm proud of you. And it's weird to say that, but I still am proud of you. <laughs> don't, be, don't be part of that generation. And um, it's been beautiful to watch you grow and expand and unleash your, <laughs> Literally and unleash your, your brilliance. And stop doing that because it's not kind <laughs> to yourself. And... Um, 
Angel Campy. Um, please tell me who your dentist is. Is it Dr. Lance Podetsky? Because those teeth look... Um, it's Dr. Acula. Dr. Acula. He wants to dentist suck to your the stars? blood. <laughs> he wants to suck my blood. Stracula. Stracula. Dr. Acula. Um, it's going very well. Thanks for spreading the joy <laughs> uh, that your mother saw whilst astral traveling with the cult of light. I'm just glad many, that many she years ago. climaxed, I guess. We all are. Imagine if she hadn't. It could have been deeply frustrating for everybody involved. <laughs> um, I love you. Thank you for being here. I love you, Nick. That's all. It's uncomfortable to be sincere. It's so uncomfortable. <laughs> Don't be authentic. It's very uncomfortable. You'll hate it. <laughs> Do it. Now, go tell someone you love them that you hate. Oh, don't lie. What? If you tell someone you hate that you love them, that's lying. No, you have to generate authentic love before you you tell them. You you have to make sure you love someone you hate. Do I have to tell Donald Trump I love him? Well, yeah, the essence of him, because people aren't bad at their essence. They're Mm, just... That one might be. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Anyway, thanks. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say thanks. Why can't you just say thanks and leave it? I could. You couldn't, though. But you always want to end on a big one. <laughs> we'll just go out with a fizzle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. What a lot of ridiculousness. That was myself and Angel Campy. I really think Angel, you know, she could have pivoted in so many ways. We all could have, you know. I, I have now decided to become a photographer and magic mushroom retreat guide. And Angel, yeah, she could be leading crystal workshops or, I don't know, art classes online. Zoom oil painting classes with Angel Campy. She could even be helping people rearrange their own crystals. She could be like the Murray Kondo of Cape Town crystals. Except she wouldn't be called Murray Kondo. She would be called, I don't know, Earth Mountain River Stream Campy. that was great next week on the podcast I have comedian Mel Jones who actually is of uh, I was going to say Scottish but actually Welsh descent we discover in the podcast I call her the princess of Wales she calls herself Mel Jones look out for that one coming soon to a drive to Pretoria near you okay guys that's it please remember the forest path thing okay very good. <laughs>